Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. I have Shannon LeGrow and Seth Breedlove here with me today. Oh my god, this is going to be so much fun. What's going on, guys? So, full disclosure, guys, if if I get a little wild on, on this show, um, it's because right before we started recording, I ran across the street to the Sunoco, and I grabbed two bottles of diet root beer so i start diet oh you crazy man freaking out on the show you know you know it's not me it's the (laughs) a and w talking you guys have not lived until you have been in the car with seth for hours and hours and hours and then you make a road a a pit stop on the road and then he grabs all the the salty and the sugary treats you know that shit's about to go down nice do that (laughs) you do that every every time we stop we we had to get road snacks man on this trip i feel like most most of most of this road trip that we were most recently on involved everyone mocking my musical selection. Oh, so, no. well, it is it is slightly horrible. I mean, I'm just gonna go ahead and say that, but I still love you. It's okay. Hey, that's well, what you get when you drive. You get to pick the music, man. Are you? Kidding? That's what I'm saying. It's but a, every I, once in a while, something would kick on, and we'd we'd both sing to something, and we'd be into Disney songs too. Shannon Shannon makes fun of my musical selection like like i'm like only listening to ballads and this went on for like the entire trip when i was out on the west coast and then she got to drive the car she gets in she puts it on she turns on her playlist and for the first like five songs were like augustana it would just and, have the, the N-A word, so it was alphabetical. <laughs> and, you just yeah. didn't get to the R's where Rob Zombie was or M. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. You got Alice in Chains in there. You might be putting on sort of a harder exterior than is actually – than your playlist actually indicates. I like a good mix of songs, but when you are so emo and, and guys, I, I feel really embarrassed cause I'm so out of the emo thing that I didn't realize that it kind of is short for like emotional, like male kind of a thing. <laughs> oh no! You have such a, a, a thickly laid playlist that there's so much of that in there that you should just wear a diaper to catch your tears while you're driving. So you just, <laughs> like, just open the front. So it just ca- catches all that right all here I in the pocket. Um, I'm, I'm imagining dashboard confessional, a lot of dashboard <laughs> confessional. No, it's not. It's not dashboard as much. It's like um, Juliana theory and a lot of like, oh, um, hell yeah, dude. 
J- I don't Jimmy even know who that World is. Thank God. Get up, kids. <laughs> yep. I feel so amazing right now. I don't know who that. No, I'm just kidding. Guess no, who's going to see uh, Newfound Glory, Seth? This guy. I saw. Th- so, so I just told my wife the other day. I saw a video popped up on on Facebook, and it was the lead singer of Newfound Glory. Are they? It, wait, is it Newfound Glory that's touring with like Unwritten Law? Yes, I believe. Okay, so, so yeah. It was their lead singers, and as soon as I saw it, I said it was. I've never felt so old so fast. It's so like true, I man. saw the, saw the lead singers, and I almost cried. Yep. Why? How? Why are they? How old are they? Because they're like my age. Yeah, they're our age. Uh-oh. And then you go to their concerts, and it's like you know twenty somethings, and you're like, oh boy, what am I doing here? Yeah, you still gotta you gotta get the lighter up in the air and just just own it, man. Absolutely. You know? All right, so I guess I'll ask a question. I'll be somewhat professional here. Um, Seth, can you give us the origin story of Small Town Monsters? I know you're probably sick of answering this question at this point, but I know there's probably a lot of listeners hopping in right now on episode, I think we're on one, 153, around there. Um, wow. Can you tell us a little bit about Small Town Monsters, how it all came to be? Yeah, I mean, first of all, congrats on on that many episodes that's crazy that's a that's a long period of time and you're you're a busy dude with a lot of other stuff going on too so <laughs> well, thanks, that in man. itself is an accomplishment I love um it. so yeah the the small town monsters began its life as a um it was it was a book concept but it was like it was driven by my my absolute boredom from my medical billing job at the time mm-hmm. so i had this medical billing job and uh I, I would sit there all day and listen to podcasts and stuff that were based on, uh, around uh, paranormal topics. And I hit upon this idea of uh, – I, I guess like what I was trying to do was write about um, the cultural influence of rural monster cases on small communities where they took place. And at the time, I was writing for a newspaper called the Massland Independent, and I did a – a column called Slice of Life that was basically um, just me talking to independent business owners around uh, a relatively small area and then sort of getting you know, their insights on how they, they ran their business and how, how it affected the rest of their lives and stuff like that. So I think it was driven more, more by that sort of like ground level look at the reality um, of the cases rather than where we kind of are with the, the series now, which is much more like cinematic. And I, I think still, still more focused on the people, but at the time my entire focus was on the people. So that's how it began. It's life was a, a book proposal that I sent out to a bunch of different book publishers and they all rejected it. And about a year passed and, and, uh, we ma- ended up making Minerva monster as a film, which was one of the cases that were, it w- was in the initial book proposal that I had sent out. And then it just sort of took off from there. But I mean, it, it really hasn't changed that much since 2015 in terms of the fact that we, we are still just a completely independent production house and we, uh, we make independent features and we run a Kickstarter at the beginning of the year that helps sort of fund what we do throughout the year. So we're, We've been around five years, but we um, we kind of hit on a formula that we like in terms of how we run everything, and that's just still how we run it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, every time I go to Amazon Prime, like one of your films pops up in like the top recommended things. I don't know if that's because I, you know, this is my world and they know what I watch or um, every time I, I swear I go to any any of the uh, the algorithms on Amazon, one of your films is there, man. So, I mean, there's a lot to be said for starting from the ground up and just getting, you know, 
getting noticed across the world. Did you ever think you'd make it to this point? It's funny because I think early on when we put out Minerva, we were we were just happy with sort of screening stuff in in small area, you know, in small towns and like going to libraries and doing presentations. And then things changed with like getting on Amazon and on some of these streaming platforms. My dogs are about to start fighting, so if you hear that in the background, um, <laughs> it's it's <laughs> it's not the root um, beer in your tummy. It's yeah, actually no, your it's, dog. It's just Mona and Bubby trying to eat each other. Um, <laughs> but uh, so 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 yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the answer is like it's crazy that they're that that the audience is is global and that something like on the trail of Bigfoot comes out and has mil- literally millions of views, but at the same time, I want the audience to get bigger. <laughs> like I yeah. still, I still just keep wanting to to get this stuff in in front of as many people as we can. And when we have something like Momo come out that that I'm really proud of and consider sort of an artistic or creative high point for us and it doesn't find an audience it, it's all the more painful for me um yes. because we put so much like i think that's what separates us from something like you know like some of the big network production houses the companies that like put out tv shows like ancient aliens um or whatever you know like that's just a random thing but any any kind of like network um th- those are giant corporation run production companies and there's hundreds if not thousands of people that are employed by them they you know they there's a certain level of this is just business to it um whereas with us like every single production is so much is poured into it that when you when you have a project like momo come out and not find an audience really it it's like a knife through your heart and it's on some level it has a lot to do with the business side of it. And like, cause if we have a failure, it's harder for us to continue surviving, but it's more like with Momo, especially it's more about, we just wanted that movie to find an audience. Cause we really think it's something special. I still do. Like I had to gr- run through it the other day cause I was trying to grab production stills for something. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I was like skimming through it real quick. And as I was doing it, I was like, I really like this movie. I hope, <laughs> I hope someday like it becomes some sort of like cult, cult favorite or something like because you it's it's just it was an original approach i think to that story and uh i'm not tooting my own horn i'm just really proud of all the work everyone did so yeah i can't remember what your initial question was i started just (laughs) rambling about momo (laughs) no as you should man momo was one of my favorites so far i remember reviewing it and um i think you're right i think it is um it's it's definitely one of your um it's your unicorn, you know. <laughs> it's that special one that I it's think. Super weird. Yeah, and it'll it'll get its day. I have no doubt. Um, but you know, kind of the real reason we have you here, um, besides the inception of Small Town Monsters, is to talk about on the trail of UFOs. So my obvious question next is, what made you want to finally cover UFOs, and um, and what was your approach with this project? Yeah, I think in two thousand fifteen or 2017 is when we hit on the idea for on the trail of and doing the sort of episodic series stuff. And, you know, Alexander Petikoff did on the trail of champ and, and I really enjoyed his approach to it. And I liked how scaled back it was and how much of a return to, or the early days of STM it was where it was more about like the travel and the adventure side of the filmmaking and less about like, let's make a, a crazy looking movie, you know, which is what we do now. It's like, we, 
approach everything really cinematically and methodically and and a film production is very different from on the trail of which Shannon kind of witnessed firsthand in LA when we were filming uh on the trail of UFOs and then it like midway through had to shoot two interviews one for the Mothman Legacy and one for mm-hmm. the Mark of the Bell Witch and it just it everything changes it becomes very like how how the lighting is set up and it takes us like 30 minutes to get one light in the right position and all that kind of stuff it's just a very different vibe from on the trail. So I really yeah, wanted he, to get he back. He actually yeah. made me stand on my head so uh, that I could hold a light with my feet because it was at the perfect angle. So I had to hold <laughs> that position for over an hour. Yeah. Damn, your triceps must be really... huge. Oh, dude. Burn <laughs> it. still burns, but it was worth it. We got the shot. Yeah. Um, so so we did On the Trail of Big, Bigfoot, which was the first On the Trail of that I did. And it was like all, all filmed and shot by me other than maybe like a, a few – points here and there where i was on camera and someone else would hold the camera and we while we were working on that we did something with shannon we did a shoot uh with shannon now my dog's knocking on the door Uh, (laughs) get get away stop um we did we did a shoot with shannon and we had a blast while we were doing it and i wanted to have a chance to to go you know do more of that to get back out in the woods and and have uh, her involved because we had a lot of fun and we've known each other f- since 2014 when we um, we had met online before that. But in 2014, we met on uh, a a town hall meeting for finding Bigfoot. Oh my god, that's <laughs> for awesome. finding. Yeah, that's how we met face to face. So so we had a blast doing the Adams County thing for on the trail of Bigfoot and uh, and then I also hated being on the camera. Uh, and running the camera with On the Trail of Bigfoot. And I thought it'd be a perfect kind of opportunity to bring Shannon in and put her in as like our POV character and let her hog the screen. Um, so that's pretty much it. Cool. That's it. Well, that's yeah, fun. that kind of bleeds into my next question, Shan. How did you get involved and what was it like? You know, I'm sure you had seen some of Seth's work before that and talked online, but what was it like actually becoming like a member of the small town monsters family? Well, and you you said the the exact proper word that I always use, and it really is a family. And we spend a lot of time with each other, especially on this last shoot. To where, I mean, if there was any kink in the armor, it would really show up very quickly. And I don't think that things would run as smoothly as they do and we really truly do love each other we have a blast and yeah everybody ribs the other one and you know we're <laughs> dropping f-bombs and all you know like half the day i i think we must go through about a hundred of those sorry everybody who is maybe slightly offended by that but it's just one of our things i don't know yeah, so but, that tells me my audience will be okay with that yeah probably and and I know that, that mine would be too, but, you know, and, and I know that this bugs Seth, but I always say it. I still, to this day, one of my favorite productions of his is still Minerva Monster. I, I loved that film. When I first saw it, I I just, I always told him, I was like, dude, you're you're going places. You just wait, you know, and he's like, to this day, he's like, oh, no, that's that's the last one that you should be in love with, you know, is it Minerva is. Monster. Yeah. No, <laughs> Yeah, but you know, to be invited to be such a big part, especially for for this round for on the trail UFOs, and and by the way, on the trail of Bigfoot, Bigfoot for me almost didn't even happen because I I was literally at the airport and I was going to board 
like an hour, an hour and a half from, from that time, I get an alert on my phone that the alarm at my home is going off. And I frantically am calling ADT and I'm like, please just go over there. And, you know, if nothing's wrong, I'll shut it off and I'll get on this plane and, and be on my merry way to go film this documentary. And uh, they're like, well, maybe, you know, they, they, they. so I ended up leaving. I'm missing my flight. And long story short, I was up for a really long time because I, he, Seth rebooked me a flight and I was able to get out that night. But the second I got in, we hit the road. So uh, I don't know how I, I, I was still in a great mood, but well, actually I do know how it's because this group of people to swing back to the original question, they're amazing. And I feel extremely uh, blessed to to be a part of that family, and we really you truly had not are. Slept though, you, no, you, I didn't you, sleep because you flew. You, you took a red eye out, but it wasn't like a typical red eye because you got in at like four a.m. or something crazy. Yeah, like like it was 4, crazy 4:30. early. <clears throat> yeah, you got into Cleveland, and then we got back to to my house, and then we all hopped in the car and drove to uh, Adams County, and then went out filming by the time you got into bed you'd been up for like 30 hours or something yeah but it's so weird because when i think back on that if i was to do that right now from right now and you know add another to add it up to 36 hours i would be ripping heads off people and i would be the biggest bitch on the planet but i don't know there's something about just you know and also you know you're you are working i mean you're taking it seriously obviously but i yeah, I don't know. I, I I was tired by the end of it. I remember sitting at dinner going, I may actually yak my dinner up. I don't know. I think we were sitting at the at the Mexican restaurant there and I was like, I think I need to go to sleep or something. I don't know what's going on. But yeah, it was still an amazing trip and I'm really glad that it worked out uh, for me to be there. But it almost didn't. Uh, that was kind of one of the, the backstories that I think that a lot of people didn't know. I think that maybe just a bird hit the window, you know, and uh, a dummy bird outside and the alarm went off and it sent the alert to my phone because nothing was was bro- oh and it was also christmas time so i'm thinking oh somebody broke in and yeah. all the christmas presents you know all these things are going through your mind i'm like i'm so sorry Seth. i gotta go home and see what's going on these a-holes at adt that i pay for are not going to go over and see if uh if anything's actually broken so yeah anyway long story short uh made it out and um and now the the on the trail ufos is of course uh something that I'm very proud to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, we all know, Shan, you come sort of from the world of Bigfoot. I mean, this is where you got your start. This is what much, most of your initial research started with. So when Seth approached you to, to cover UFOs, like, what was that like? Did he have any trepidation, or were you, like, all in from the beginning? What was that like? Oh, yeah, I was didn't definitely we, all in. Didn't we talk about – I think we talked about it that weekend – the, the weekend you were actually up here for Adams yes. County. I think we were already talking about it um, even that far in advance, which actually wasn't that far in advance. It was like a few months before we would have started shooting. But I think I think we actually discussed it while, while, while she was here filming Bigfoot. Yeah, because I remember you – and he does say this a lot. He's always like, I, I can't stand being on camera, which I never understood. I mean, you know, but everybody feels like – that about your own voice or the way you look or you, we're all Ooh, like that but yeah. <laughs> uh yeah but uh yeah we did talk about it and I was, I was like of course I would love to do that I mean UFOs is not my wheelhouse in any way shape or form I'm terrible with like oh well this case happened on this date and this is the exact location of it and that's so not my strong suit but it's obviously uh something that I I do like to cover uh, on my show occasionally as well when it comes up of course 
So, okay, so with On the Trail of UFOs, guys, Seth, you have, um, you sort of have this core group that you work with. I know you bring people in and out of several different projects, but, uh, could you maybe tell us a little about the crew on, on the Trail of UFOs before we get into the meat of the, uh, the actual journey? Um, who was a part of this and who did your artwork? I have to ask. These posters and marketing images you guys have been cranking out are so cool. So, yeah, I, I, I always like to get, the creatives credit on these things. Yeah, they yeah. are the the forgotten people often who uh, don't get the credit they deserve. This one was totally different from on the trail of Bigfoot because on like on like I said on the trail of Bigfoot was really the crew was like a, a one man crew and it was pretty much me and um, most of that was geared, geared, because of the way we were doing the shoot where uh, on the trail of Bigfoot costs less than five thousand dollars to make and that's with our poster budget. Um, oh, wow. Most of that is because of the fact that I tacked on my shooting trips to trips I was already taking. So if I was going to San Francisco to to speak and show movies at Bigfoot Bonanza, I tacked on an extra two days and went up into the Mirror Woods and shot B-roll and interviewed Lauren Coleman and whoever else I could find in San Francisco <laughs> that was willing to do an interview. And that's how it was. Like I, I would do an event and I would also tack on – uh, an interview and B-roll. And that's how we got all the footage. And that's how I got to so many different locations. We actually hit more states with On the Trail of Bigfoot than we did with On the Trail of UFOs. But that was the 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 crew on that was non-existent. And uh, with On the Trail of UFOs, it was very different. But the, tr- the, the crew did change somewhat. Not change. I guess like there were additions. Uh, there there weren't really any subtractions other than we lost Brandon for the East Coast leg of the trip. So uh, Jason Udis was uh, who is normally our sound recordist uh, with on the trail of UFOs. We didn't we didn't use a boom mic once. Uh, all all the audio is actually either in camera or lav mics. So uh, Jason was actually pretty much just like a secondary camera guy and held. Uh, either a handy cam or I'd just hand him whatever and he'd he'd shoot as like a secondary camera. Zach Palmasano was along for the East Coast trek. Uh, Brandon was there. Shannon was there, obviously. Adam Dugan um, was a part of the East Coast trek. So was Alexander Petikov. And um, am I missing someone, Shannon? I'm trying to think. Uh, I think that's 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 pretty much it. Yeah, and everyone kind of... Uh, added their own uh, helped in some way. I don't really know. Like, unlike the movies, I don't know what to credit people with. Cause people, I mean, mm-hmm. the cinematography in the opening credits, it says Zach, uh, Seth and Jason, when it's talking, when it, when it is giving the cinematography credit. But the fact is like Zach, Jason and I shot large chunks of the series, but I think Shannon has cinematography in there as well. Like stuff she <laughs> nice. shot that made it in. Uh, so did Adam, so did Alex. So everyone kind of did something and, and uh, the crew was varied and uh, changed a lot. So it was, it was very different from, from the last pro- the last on the trail of um, as far as like the poster art. So our poster art is done by Matt Pepler who did on the trail of Bigfoot as well? He does those like uh, double exposure uh, looking artistic. Uh, I don't. They're they're like minimalist posters, but 
I loved his style. And it's funny how I met Matt. We were at Wizard World back in 2015, Wizard World Cleveland, the the Comic-Con. And um, I saw his table, but he wasn't at his table. And I took his business card and didn't contact him until 2018 when we were making Bigfoot. And that was the first time I spoke to him. So it took a few years, but but I had always followed him and really liked his work and wanted to work with him at some point. So he does the posters. And then I have to give a ton of credit to, um, to Mark Randall for doing like 97 illustrations that are featured throughout uh, the series. He did an astronomical amount of work between the first work he turned in was in December. So let that sink in because that means he did 90 plus pieces between december and when we locked cut uh at the very end of january oh my god so that's like he, a full-time job yeah yeah he did he did boatloads of artwork and it it's i think it's fantastic They're i've stunning, already man yeah i've already yeah i've already brought him on to do more for for uh the mothman project that were the uh on the trail of lake michigan mothman project that we're working on now too so he's yeah his work in there is great santino vitale Ended up doing a ton of effects work, which was not part of the original plan. This was, you know, on the trail of supposed to be scaled back. It's not supposed to have recreations and all that kind of stuff. And then UFOs completely bucked the the system that I had <laughs> kind of had in place in my head for what things were going to be like. So Santino did a ton of effects work. I mean, uh, episode six, which is the mystery lights, that episode has more effect shots in it than all of than all of I think Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, but that one twenty-seven minute episode is loaded with effect shots, uh, and and it's not all Santino. I actually learned how to do some effects work myself, so Ooh, I did. Nice. I did effect shots throughout the series too. So um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that I need to. Well, um, the sound sound design and sound editing on, on our last few movies. And now this mini series have been done by John Parfit, who we brought on board with terror in the skies. And he did a ton of work, uh, as you can imagine with this one, especially when you see the, uh, all the like crazy quick cuts and stuff like that. He's adding those camera, <laughs> those camera worrying noises. And like oh, wow. when there's like the weird zooms and all that, that's all, that's all John doing all that work. So, um, so that stuff was John's, and then, and obviously, the opening theme is is done by Brandon Dalo, who has now done that. That's a variation on what we're calling the "On the Trail of" theme, which is actually a song that was in uh, the Beast of Whitehall called "In the Valley." Um, he re- reworked it for for "On the Trail of Bigfoot." Now he reworked it again for "On the Trail of UFOs." So. I love it. I so we've we've got an a, on the trail theme song going. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Man. All right, well let's um let's get to chapter one, the UFO people. Um, I'd love to sort of cover each episode here with you guys. Um, in you know briefly, we don't want to give away yeah. too much, but um, it sort of introduces us to the people in ufology, and it brings us up to. Uh, you know, it brings us up to date on the big story that broke in 2017, New York Times, blah, blah, blah. If my audience doesn't know that by now, they are not UFO people. Um, but yeah, we got the secret Pentagon UFO program and all that. So um, could you maybe tell us, the both of you, maybe a little about why you decided to choose to begin the series this way? And maybe a little about why you chose the people you did to interview throughout the whole series. Shannon can definitely talk about the interviews. I I knew from the beginning this was the first episode. In fact, like this was part of the initial 
episode layout. It it's funny because this is typically where an SDM project would end. Um, especially, you know, something like on the trail of Bigfoot was very chronological, sort of began with the past and brought us up to the present. I did not want to do that with on the trail of UFOs. I wanted it to be sort of all over the place chronologically. It's about the phenomenon itself rather than the history as as sort of the um I mean, it's about the history, but the history is interspersed with all this other stuff. And, and you know, the, the history is going to be doled out um, as you're learning about all these different subtopics of the genres, as we called it in one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. So beginning with this was really important because um, our main audience, the reason we exist, the reason Small Town Monsters is, exist, is our, our audience is a general audience. It's Bigfooters are great. UFO people are great. Um, that is not the audience that is watching our movies in the millions. You know, like it just doesn't, that doesn't compute. I don't think there's that many people that are avid, avidly into these topics. So um, whenever we make anything, our our core, uh, the, the audience that we are making stuff for is an audience who might not be aware of, of a lot of the ins and outs of these topics. So um, beginning with, an episode that sort of helped set the stage for where ufology is today was super important. And at the same time, um, getting a, a really uh, sort of intense personal story in the in the form of Dan Weiss's encounter was equally important because it helped establish the tone of what we were going for throughout the rest of the series. And, and it sort of helped set the mission, mission statement that we had from the beginning as well, which was, you know, we're going to put the focus back on the people that are involved in this. So that's uh, from a storytelling standpoint, that was always, this was always the opening episode. Yeah. I think that as makes far sense. as, yeah. and as far as like the interviews go, we, we went after people who were, um, interesting from a, from a, a witness standpoint. And we went after people who were skilled and knowledgeable on, on UFOs. But a lot of that had, had to do with Shannon because Shannon set a, a lot of these up. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, throw it, I'll throw it to you. Yeah. What made you choose these people? I mean, as you know, just a byproduct of doing a show like this, even if you're not heavy into UFOs, you still know a lot of UFO people. And I was lucky enough to get a hold of a lot of these folks and they were on board with talking to us. And, you know, we've we contacted and sat down and covered everything from you know, uh, we've got a historian in there. We've got a NASA engineer in there. We've got plenty of experiencers and witnesses of craft and, you know, even down to, to beings and things that they think that they've seen and experienced in their own homes. And then even somebody that, you know, likes to execute the more uh, the CE5 kind of thing, you know, where you're going out and you're you've got almost this um, kind of a kata, like a dance that they're doing to try to, to call a craft in basically and you know that's the space that they live in so we had such a a cross-section and i love this word a dichotomy of different types of people that were i mean on completely different ends of the spectrum and you know in hindsight to take even this person and that person or these three people and just to let them start to chat on camera would have been an, an amazing part of the series if that was logistically possible to do. But it is such a, a different cross-section in just just these, these eight episodes. It, it's very mind-blowing and it was very uh, humbling for me to be a part of it to, to just to realize 
how different people are, but they're still kind of going after the same thing, obviously. So they still want to know. They're still asking the very same questions that no matter what you believe that we all are. Yeah, well, you bring up a good point, Shannon. You know, full disclosure to the audience, I, I do make appearances in this series, but when I was sitting there talking with you guys, I, I felt like I was just rambling, and like nothing I said made sense, none of it was chronological. I, I, I left being like, what the hell did I just say? And then when you see the series in a context and this overall narrative that you guys crafted about the UFO topic, um, it's amazing when you can zoom out and see all these different perspectives put into one cohesive narrative. You know, maybe it's not as clean and neat as most people want the UFO topic to be, but that's just it. It never is. But it was really cool and refreshing to see so many different people talking about UFOs. And even though we disagree on things, uh, the core elements were there and we all had so much more in common than I ever thought we could. So that was really cool. Seth, did you you tell him? Did you tell him yet, Seth? About how you feel about his interview? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I did while we were doing it, but your interview was my favorite like i i said this i think i said it while we were there but that was the most relaxed i was during any of the interviews and you know maybe it's because we kind of have known each i mean we we'd never met before but we'd known each other for a few years oh, now yeah i felt like and, I, um, i you know known you my whole life <laughs> yeah i mean it was just it was so it was so relaxed and uh and it came at a really i've i said this on another show recently it came at a really necessary time for me because i was Shannon and I were both sick. Shannon was getting sicker. I was getting better by then. But um, yeah, because you started I, it, and he was the host. Yeah, so I was the host. He was uh, over it, and all of us were like, hey. "Patient I zero. Was, let's not get yeah. into uh, viruses." <laughs> <laughs> I was completely exhausted from like driving two days. Oh yeah, doing all the all the filming the day before. I was sort of stressed out, and that interview like really put me at ease at a very early point in the trip where I still had a lot of work ahead of me. So it was like, it was weirdly therapeutic in a way too, because it was, it it reminded me of why I like doing interviews. It just didn't, it didn't have the formality of some of the other ones that, that we had done and were about to do. So that, that was one of my favorite, if not my favorite interview on the, on the entire shoot. Oh, shit. Well, that's good to hear, man. And then I threw you to the wolves in the middle of Times Square. That was great, though. That, <laughs> that, was, was, a, that, was, that was a blast. Yeah, and that's some of my favorite footage in the entire series was following you guys around Times Square, which is funny. Uh, that Originally, you know, that the footage of you guys walking around was going to be in the first episode, and then I wanted to use it in the sec- second one and then third, because it's like some of my favorite footage. And then it ended up not making it in until the very end, like till it, the beginning of episode eight. It finally, <laughs> the Times Square footage finally shows up. Yep, Times Square, always making its uh, late entrance, I guess, in fashion. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I was so honored to be a part of this. And um, I, I, I just, I love... The way you did this, it was it was so unique to uh, what we usually see in the UFO world. These like you know super slick documentaries that have the same damn people in them spouting the same stuff in an echo chamber. But um, that's not what we got here. And what I loved is each sort of episode has its own facet to UFOs. And I always mm-hmm. tell people. You know, the UFO topic can be viewed from every angle you can possibly think of, whether it's history, uh, you know, psychology, biology, um, anthropology, psychology, everything. And that's why mm-hmm. I, that's what I've always loved about UFOs. So when we get to um, 
Chapter 2, The Changing Face, this is where you kind of cover the craft themselves, which, um, mm-hmm. you know, is very, is a nuts and bolts approach to ufology, which a lot of the old school people seem to focus on a lot, is the the evolution of the phenomenon or these crafts that people are seeing. So, yeah, what was it like trying to really get across this point in, in the series of how UFOs have changed throughout the, I, I guess, the decades? It's funny. My concern with this episode was that people would find this super boring, but but something like the airship waves is one of my favorite aspects of ufology. Like it's yeah. th- those airship waves have always been really fascinating to me. And Mark and I actually did like a, I think we did two parts on Monsteropolis that were all about the airships earlier this year, and um, so so yeah, it, it was really important to establish what a UFO is for an audience as stupid as that might sound, but, but for an audience that is just coming into this, that thinks of UFOs solely as being a flying saucer, like they've seen in movies from like the 1940s. Cause for a lot of people, that's what a UFO is, or it's just the Tic Tac now, because like, that's a thing. Like people are just coming into this because they saw the Tic Tac video and they're interested because Tom DeLonge is into UFOs now. And, um, so I wanted to establish like right right out of the gate like the, this is what a UFO is this is you know like these these the, the entire thing's been changing what they are is changing almost daily it seems like um but at the same time there are these waves of like particular types of craft so um you know starting with the airships and then working our way to like the black triangles was was really fun and then it also gave me a, a chance to to start talk, looking at how much we were going to do. And uh, interestingly enough, too, episode two was actually edited before episode one. So that quick cut kind of style was established on episode two rather than episode one. Um, we actually didn't – we had not finished shooting episode one because we had not done the Los Angeles trip yet. And um, – I was waiting on Greg Bishop's interview because I knew that that was going to be used in episode one. So episode two was actually the first finished episode of On the Trail of UFOs. And so that that ended up being the episode that established the style and tone stylistically the entire series going forward. But um, it was really important to to set up what a UFO is. I don't know. If Shannon wants to t- – she, she was – along for the blueprinting of all this, too, so she can talk about that some. Yeah, do you have anything to add, Shan? No, I mean, you know, Seth Seth usually covers everything so beautifully, and we found out on the last show that one of our answers is exactly the same for uh, a very important question. So, no, I think that, um, see, unlike, unlike Seth, though, I think that the airships although they are very interesting i think for me the the old school flying saucers the kenneth arnold the nuts and bolts i still just love that stuff so much and the idea that you know hopefully there are little gray men flying these things i still have that romantic view of it of course it's not so romantic to those that think they bust into their homes and stick things uh inside them but uh in that's not just saying that, you know to, to be slight but I still want that to be true. I don't want to think that uh, human beings, although I know that we are intelligent, that we could actually create such things even way back then that, that could make maneuvers like that. So um, I like the fact that also in this we do – we talk about – everything we cover everything we wanted to make sure that as seth said if you're just coming into this and you want a good broad base of ufos we made sure to do that for them 
I guess using Phoenix as the as the bookend was kind of important too because Phoenix is such an, an important modern day yeah. event. And and at the same time, like I remember being really paranoid. I don't know if we talked this about this on the shoot. I think we did. I think I was really paranoid about using Phoenix because of the fact that it seems like it's so covered. You know, like it's been covered yes. so so much in popular media. And at the same time, um, when I really – yeah, and and when I stepped back and thought about it, I was like, I really, I actually don't know that it's as well known as it should be to an audience that's just coming into UFOs, you know. Right. So yeah. like, and maybe for for an existing audience, for for the existing ufology people, like you've got Ron Regeer talking about seeing it on that radar uh, coming out of Area Fifty One or whatever, which I don't think was out there before we did this. That's so there's insane. at least something yeah. new in there. That that like blew my mind when he said that because you know yeah we all have these um these at least within the UFO community these romantic ideas of you know Phoenix Lights was this it was two events the first was alien the second was a military cover up but to hear right. someone like Ron say that oh we saw that on radar at Area Fifty One like that completely blew my mind yeah that was so cool okay so we we go from the craft to um the places in chapter three now the places you will go this episode really really fascinated me it put into perspective how important area and geography can actually be when researching mm-hmm. ufos and you covered stuff like the hudson valley or um you know pennsylvania or even sedona arizona which is mm-hmm. said to be you know these big hot spots or quote-unquote window areas for ufos so what was it like exploring this aspect of ufos it's it was it, again like this was like part of the initial breakdown for for episodes even before we'd filmed it so we knew um, I knew I wanted to hit this. I think I thought the episode would play out a little differently than how it ended up playing out. But I like the I like the layout of the episode and how um, how it jumps from between these. I think it's three specific areas where it really spends time. But I mean, there's Skinwalker Ranch is talked about in this episode. There's yeah, there's a lot of different spots that are that are mentioned. But it was really important to me because of Hudson Valley. The Hudson Valley stuff is some of my favorite. UFO wave, yeah, you know, that, that it, it's so amazing because there were so many people involved and it seems like it's so, um, underrepresented these days. Like people don't talk about it as much as they, they once did. And I always lo- loved this because of that unsolved mysteries episode <laughs> that, that they, uh, where they did the amazing recreation of like the, the black triangle going over the, the dude's house in like some suburban neighborhood in the Hudson Valley. And um, I, I'm obsessed with the Hudson Valley. We're, we're actually talking about like going back on another vacation because we, we actually went to the Hudson Valley as like a family vacation last year. And um, we're talking about doing it again because I just – I love the area and I love how uh, New Englandy it feels. Um, but it still feels completely different. It feels like, like – I don't know what it is about that area. But I mean, Ryan, you're close to that area. So I, I'm sure yeah. you know what I mean. It just feels different. It feels otherworldly or something there's yeah. something about it i really like absolutely it's just it, there's something magnetic about it i mean yeah you know growing up in upstate new york like I, you'd be surprised i actually never really made it to the hudson valley until i moved to new york city and it took moving to this crazy city to like you know start exploring my state overall and then you know yeah just going to these areas where you hear that this ufo wave happen 
not even it, it might not even be the ufos themselves but it's the lore behind it when you mm-hmm. get to these places yeah. and you start yeah feeling exactly it. it's uh it is it's magical it is and and this is also kind of like for i think for me for the east coast trip this was the first time it felt like we were really this episode something we filmed for this episode is when when it I first felt like we were really doing it on the trail of series was when we did the Kecksburg stuff. Cause it was, um, if it, it was a callback, it just felt like I was back on, on the trail of Bigfoot. Cause we were, we're out in the dark and Stan Gordon's there and we're looking at lights in the sky where it's painfully obvious they're airplanes, but nonetheless, um, <laughs> that doesn't matter. Yeah. It didn't matter. We, we were, yeah, and and I just I wanted to do an episode too that really set up that idea of window areas, hotspots, flaps, you know, like stuff like that. And again, like there's a there's a big importance to the overall. That's a huge piece of the overall puzzle. Also, another piece of our puzzle in Pennsylvania at the Chestnut Ridge was we stayed at a house that we actually had mows there on property, oh, yeah. like staying in a smaller house off of our house. But Seth and I and Adam we go walking up the hill to get a little night shots and this and that. And dude just runs out of our basement oh from our yeah, basement, not his basement. I'm like, where, where did Moe's come from? What the hell is he doing? On there it? was a man on site who came out of our basement what at like, at like midnight. I yeah, mean, it, yeah. And, and was very random. Did, did you ever m- find out why? No, no, it wasn't just him. It was like him and his wife. And there was someone else too. They were taking like a mattress out the second time we saw him. This place had a kill room, like in Dexter. Yeah. We aren't oh kidding. God. There was a damn kill room in the back with, you know, you got the sawhorses with the, the plastic all over. The, yeah. And there were other things that happened at that, that house that night. But, um, yeah. Some people, mm, some disembodied. At, at like 5 a.m., might have been earlier, I woke up and, uh, very clearly heard someone walk up the back porch because this is an old house, prob- probably built in the 1800s. Um, actually, it was older than that, isn't it? Shannon, didn't we find something that said it was like the oldest it, house in the state or something? It was insane. Yeah, and it had like this log book and people were talking about the ghosts in there. And oh, all yeah, this people stuff. were it's talking about all the ghosts in the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, 5 a.m., I, I, I let me let me set this this part up because this is funny. So the way the house is laid out is is the the bedrooms are all upstairs, and um, but there there's <laughs> there's two sleeping areas. So uh. one one sleeping area is a bedroom that you have to go up this creepy flight of steps that's insanely narrow and tall, and you go up and there's one bed and that was where Shannon slept. All by then myself. On, but, uh, yeah, in the other side of the house, isolated section of the house, and then in the other section of the house is um, two bedrooms, and then like an open area with two beds in it, and that's all in one small tiny area, and that's where all the men were. That's where we're all sleeping, so we're all like, safely in our our little like uh, hut or whatever on one end. And then Shannon's in another section of the house entirely. Oh, yeah. You, you weren't on the insurance, Shan. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, not <laughs> so at all. Like, five. It's like 5 a.m. I wake up and I hear footsteps come up our back porch, um, the deck of the house. I hear the back door open. I hear the back door, the, the screen door open. I hear the back door open. I hear the screen door close. I hear the back door close. I hear footsteps come through our kitchen and go into what sounded like the living room. I'm out of bed immediately 
because we have thousands of dollars worth of equipment sitting downstairs. Um, I out of bed immediately. I get Adam. Adam's out of bed. We run downstairs. There's no one. There's no one in the bed. There's no one downstairs. We go through, we check the door. The doors are all locked. There's no one in the kitchen. Uh, the, the basement door, you can't really access through there. So I don't know what I heard, but I very clearly heard someone walking. Because you downstairs. weren't even asleep, right? You were up. I was wide you were awake, awake yeah. at that point. This is not like you dreamed this and then you went downstairs. Oh, uh, yeah. On shoots, I really don't sleep very well on a shoot, um, <laughs> which is pr- probably why I have migraines pretty much the entire time we're filming. But, um, yeah, I hadn't, I was wide awake at that point. So I was just laying there waiting to get up so I could go film and we could head to New York City. Because later that day, Ryan was actually when we interviewed you. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. So, yeah. So, so we were, we were, uh, so I don't know what it was, but that house was haunted. Wow. Haunted as hell. So yeah. We, and the logbook actually did mention that in, in various places, several places. <laughs> so you Enjoy went, the haunted uh, house. Cool right. spot. You're like, oh, God. You went looking for UFOs and you found a ghost. Way to go, and guys. Also, <laughs> And Seth has a knack for finding Airbnbs that only have one bathroom, like, and oh, that's yeah. down in like the common area. So nobody felt like they could take a proper poop, like the entire yeah. trip, you know. <laughs> Even the New York uh, Airbnb where you got interviewed, the bathroom's like right in the oh, living room, no. basically. Yeah, you know what? The best thing about that was I woke up from my nap right before Ryan got there, and there was no one in that house. You guys had all left me. So happy. I took a nap before prior to Ryan's <laughs> arrival. I woke up, everyone's gone. I'm like, I got this whole place to myself. Yep. Yeah, time to do it. Yep. See, this is the inside scoop—the things that people don't get to hear about. Uh, what yeah, I, I bet you didn't hear the the term "proper poop" on this episode, huh, guys? Well, you did. <laughs> that might have to be the title of the yeah. episode. We'll would, see. We'll see. <laughs> Can I get a proper poop on these shoes? Come on. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, so we move from uh, window areas to uh, locations to um, the tricksters. I love the title of this episode. And um, this is where you start digging into what could be behind the UFOs in mm-hmm. terms of an intelligence or or what it is. So you got a lot of – you got a wide spectrum of opinions and theories on this from the uh, the people you interviewed. So what did you both make of what you discovered in this aspect of the research? Who are piloting these data? UFOs. Warning, if you like your UFO literature to confirm what you already know, this is not the book for you. From White Crow Books comes a brand new collection of essays, 14 authors, one goal, to shatter the UFO topic and pick up the pieces in a whole new light. Compiled and edited by Robbie Graham, with a foreword by Professor Diana walsh Pasolka. UFOs Reframing the Debate is a cold, hard slap in the face for ufology. Delivered with love. UFOs Reframing the Debate. Available now in paperback and ebook on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble, the Book Depository, and the iBook Store. For a complete list of contributors and to learn more, visit RobbieGram.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. UK. Oh, well, I mean, I already told you I wanted it to be the Greys. So, yeah. you know, but I think at this point, unfortunately, sorry to jump in, Seth, but just real quick, I have a quick answer. I think a lot of the stuff that we're seeing, especially now, is in fact us. But uh, in fact, um my my stepbrother Sean Kevin Jason you you know him very well Ryan uh you know he he's admitted that the triangle craft that he saw he really feels like that was piloted by people now where the tech came from of course that's a whole roundabout chasing the tail answer you know did it come from the grays or something else or something off planet but uh I mean of course I want it to be something ET I think that would be amazing yeah what do you think Seth what do I personally think I have no idea but yeah, the that's um, a good answer <laughs> that's the answer I was looking for <laughs> but, but uh the the episode is uh, one thing I can say about this episode I'm not these haven't come out yet so I'm supposed to really be selling these so everyone watch it this episode's great it's my least favorite of the, the entire series. oh good salesperson um, right there hey he's Wait, an honest what? filmmaker I like it he's, yeah, like, having he is. said that it's not it's not because I think the episode's solid I think we I like the fact that we we have a a native perspective in it I like the fact that you kind of get a broad uh spectrum of different opinions on what is going on um so it's it has nothing to do with the content of the episode. I just kind of find this aspect of the whole thing boring. Like like honestly, I I don't think we know what is piloting the UFOs and I don't think we know if if some of them are being piloted by anything and I you know like it's just such a as weird as that seems um that is not like the the topic of all of this that really draws me in. Um and also like I didn't this this episode was was uh mostly edited by luke luke gall so this was the episode where episode three and episode four had an assistant editor um my friend luke gall and he he did a lot of the editing on this one but um that has nothing to do with why it's not <laughs> poor yeah luke. sure you just it's dropped the ball on that. that just came right it's, out it, it, <laughs> honestly go, just comes, it honestly just comes down to to the topic not being my favorite so what um, is your favorite aspect out of any of it then what does draw you in well, see, like what draws me in and what my favorite episode is, or whatever are completely different. No, yeah, but, uh, what just the subject itself? What draws you in the most? Well, the mystery light thing is my favorite, and I don't know if that's oh, yeah. again. I don't know if you can include that as UFOs. So if it's not that, it's probably going to be it's probably going to be my typical answer of like the historical, 
<laughs> the oh, historical goodness. cases. Like, I'm just kidding. No, you know, yeah. the, the nineteen, the early like nineteen forties is my favorite era of ufology, or the late nineteen forties yeah. oh, is my yeah. favorite era of ufology. And so, like, it's it's that stuff. It's the Cold War era. I mean, it ramped up so much in the forties and fifties that the mm-hmm. uh, you know the the government got involved. The you know Project Blue Book and all yeah. that good stuff. So, no, oh, that makes so- complete sense. One thing I do have to say I adore about this episode is the opening and the bookends. I I love that it opens with Exeter. I love Exeter. I loved that Joe Hill lived there and I didn't know it until after we were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I just loved – I love the stuff with Shannon on the beach at the end walking um, because that that sunset was unfreaking believable. And, we took so much footage of that sunset. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, I just liked the way all that came together with her in, in the location, in Exeter, kind of talking to, to the people, all of us really, talking to the people about, you know, like where, where the actual Exeter event happened. It's a different opening from any of the up, other episodes, too, because it opens with a witness story not not that the witness was there but it opens with a ufo story and then goes into like what the actual topic of the episode is so i i do i do the fact that this is my least favorite has nothing to do with the actual content of the episode i really like the the episode as a whole and i love that the exeter stuff especially and i love the i i love malava's interview i have to say i really Mm -hmm. the, the having having that perspective in there is really important the one downside to that is his interview was like an hour and a half and his interview is distilled into three minutes and you know like if you he watches that he's probably going to hate it because obviously to to boil down what he thinks and i this is part of the the narration says to boil down like or to distill you know what his belief system is about ufos into like one tiny little chunk is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But he had so much to say about that stuff and, and the origins of, of not just the UFOs, but like the ant people and all that kind of stuff. I hope we can use more of that in an interview. If we can do a season two, cause that his, his interview is really cool. Yeah. I, I loved getting that native perspective. It's super important. I mean, some of our greatest stories of the star people and um, all these sorts of things come from the native Americans. And um, I'm digging a lot deeper into that in future episodes of, of somewhere in the skies too. So I'm so happy that you were able to do that and get uh, that perspective of it. Cause it's very important. I think when it comes mm-hmm. to the overall phenomenon and um, this, all right, this is my favorite episode guys. Chapter five, the stuff they don't want you to know. This is where we get to the dark and sexy government cover up <laughs> angle to all this. Um, and we tackle area 51 military involvement. So what surprised you to the most about covering this aspect of UFOs? And do you have any sort of personal thoughts on which things are clearly a cover-up and uh, what was just sort of maybe born out of a mythology, I guess. Mm. Shannon, you start. You're going to throw me in this one, huh? Yeah. No, um... I You're mean, our Area I don't 51 th- expert. Come on. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah, right? Since it's just right in my backyard. Yep, <laughs> you know, yep. Since I see UFOs every day since I'm in Vegas, that's the go-to right there. <laughs> uh, never seen one, really, actually, except for the, the orb in uh, Washington State. So there you go. Hmm. Um, so as far as Area 51 goes, just in general, I don't think anything would surprise me either way. 
if all of it was man-made, okay, that makes sense. Or if it, all of it was alien craft, which would be amazing, but that also would not be that surprising. See, UFOs in and of themselves, it's going to sound really stupid, but they're almost, they're not boring to me. They're just, they're like, yeah, I totally get it, and it makes sense, and, and how could we be the only things out there? So, I mean, something like a Bigfoot or a Dogman, especially a Dogman, don't get me started on that, but a Wolfman, um, they're, those are really like kind of crazy cool to me. UFOs make so much sense that maybe that's why I don't cover them so much on Into the Fray. But as far as Area 51 goes, the thing that chases its tail so much out there is the fact that, you know, you had something like uh, the, the Blackbird out there at one point, you know, sitting on top of a huge spike. I know I've told this with you on Ryan before. It's one of my favorite stories out of 51. Mm-hmm. They would bring it out during the day and they'd be doing the testing on it. And it was uh, up on this massive pole. And then they'd take it in or, or I'm sorry, they would bring it out at night. But the desert was still the heat from the day would still be basically uh, give the outline of the blackbird underneath it. They would take it in and think they were so sneaky. Meanwhile, the Russian satellites go over and they see the exact basically cut out of the blackbird and they know exactly what the hell we were working on. So, you know, that makes you kind of go, are we really that smart? Are we really smart enough to be <laughs> coming up with something like a TR-3B, which we do have, um, which Sean has admitted that he thinks that's probably what he saw that day outside of Area 51 or that night but i think that where the the tail chasing sorry i said this earlier where this comes from is the fact that people go well there is man-made stuff well yeah sure but it did this crazy maneuver well how do we get that technology and then the then it's chasing its tail as far as well did it come from off planet and now we're just reproducing that somehow we have to uh, back engineer that or did we actually come up with all of that on our own? So I, I don't know. I mean, that's that is the proper question, I think, as far as what's going on out there, really. I, I like the idea. Now, this is what I've hit. See, whenever I do an interview, I'm always like, I'm trying to find a hook. So my hook now is going to be, I'm going to let Shannon talk about the this the actual stuff you're asking. And I'm just going to ramble about like filmmaking stuff. So this episode. <laughs> this episode why you guys make such a good yeah. team. <laughs> this, is, this episode is my favorite of the series, actually, because um, because it, the the opening is so uh, un- unique from from anything else that's come in in anything SDM, it feels more like uh, an action movie or Ferris Bueller. I called it my Ferris Bueller opening because it's like Shannon is is very much breaking the fourth wall, and uh, it gets really meta at the beginning. And also, uh, our color, our the the guy that did the color on on the entire series had a blast doing this episode because so much of it is in the desert. Um, he created a color palette. Uh, that he kept in an, an adjustment layer. He put it on the adjustment layer, and it was just called Tony Scott. And <laughs> it's because the entire episode looks like a Tony Scott movie, like Top Gun or something. Yeah. It looks like a Tony Scott movie, and um, especially the parts with Shannon at Area Fifty One. So um, this is it, this is my favorite episode, and also I do love the conspiracy and government cover up angle of ufology. And Is I do think on an exercise bike back there. They sorry. Are, you're hearing that. Yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. Um, it's in the distance. <laughs> you're, 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 uh, you're exercising. I like that. You, you, yeah. you're killing three birds with one stone. I like I it. it. No, it's, yeah. it's, I have a stationary bike in the basement. That's like 40 years old. And if either of us use it, it sounds like someone's trying to 
Oh, to, I was joking. To, it really is an exercise bike. Oh, oh it's one hundred percent. No, I am being. Hilarious. I am dead serious. So Thanks for pointing that out. Sorry. Um, hey, at least someone's exercising. Yeah, seriously. Uh, so anyway, yeah the 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 actual like the actual conspiracy angle of all of this is is one of my favorite aspects of the subject. And and to get to go to Area Fifty One and have the insanity that happened as meet that meeting that guy that you know yeah. we got to interview yeah. there and and uh it being the same day that sort of the area 51 storm area 51 stuff blew up and all that it was just it was insane that that happened be, when, yeah. When there yeah and so yeah as far as the, the you know the uh, the film aspect of it, I will say just to add this in, nothing makes you look like more of a badass than slow motion. That's gotta, so you just true. gotta love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I yeah. mean, you guys had some interesting stuff happen when you went there. We'll leave that for the audience to uh, to see because that was pretty <laughs> exciting. But um, yeah, that that was probably one of my favorites too, Seth. So I totally understand why. Um, well, then we moved to Chapter Six, Let It Shine. This was pretty cool. Um, this is something I've never really looked into, but I was so happy to see that you guys made it to North Carolina with our mutual friend. Uh, Micah Hanks, and you you covered the orbs, which is a huge part of ufology that a lot of people don't know about. So yeah, what was it like going to Brown Mountain and, uh, you know, the Marfa Lights in Texas you guys covered and several others? So yeah, what was it like actually going out there and doing some sky watching and all that? Yeah, Shannon. What was it like? Um, I was, you know, I mean, it's Brown Mountain. I mean, I was extremely... Uh, expectant and excited and of course to meet Micah Hanks was amazing and yeah it was a beautiful location it's funny because even though you've seen footage of the area or you see pictures of the area until you go there you know you're like oh this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be but it was I mean it was more because it was as far as what he was explaining there was such a, a, a bigger area that you were supposed to be watching and actually i think that seth and i were looking at the wrong place uh, before micah got there which was uh, i mean these things happen you know when when you've never been at a place before it was both of our first times at brown mountain but and mike's like oh no it's actually over here <laughs> we're like oh whoopsie we were we were off to the left there a little bit sorry but um you know the the whole area there has such mystique to it and you know, as far as orbs go, that is something that I have experienced myself. And, you know, we'll have to leave it for the audience to see, you know, what has actually gone down at Brown Mountain for us. But for me, that was I was super excited to go to that location. And we were very lucky to have Micah take the time to meet us up there on the mountain. The mystery light thing was a big part of the series for me. I don't know why I was so insistent on getting it in here because there was other stuff we could have covered you know like there was there's no i don't think we make any there's no denying the fact that we barely scratched the surface of U, ufos with this series but welcome you know, we had to any, my world every yeah. day of my life <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i mean like we we, we it's that's impossible. the thing is yeah. if we can do a season two there's no problem like we can keep doing the same format it's different from bigfoot in that way like bigfoot i had to i have to come up with a completely new format for season two of on the trail of bigfoot but for ufos you can keep doing this because there's so much to explore but mystery lights were a big part of the series for me and getting to go to to brown mountain was weird because 
it was weird for a couple of reasons. One, I realized while I was there that we were like right down the road from where a good chunk of my family is from. <laughs> um, within like 20, wouldn't you say like 20 minutes, Shannon, where we yeah. jumped by? Yeah. Yes. So a good chunk of my family, my dad's side of the family is from there. And then the other thing is like I grew up going to a camp in Marion, North Carolina for most of my life. And Marion is there. Like that is Marion. Um, in fact, Brown Mountain is a is a Marion zip code. So it was also weird in the fact that uh, Lake James, which is where the camp was that I used to go uh, as a kid, is like right over the mountain from Brown Mountain. So apparently I'd been there most of my life and just never realized that was Brown Mountain. Oh, wow. So so yeah, the, we 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 had a lot of fun up there. I think that that night was super memorable. And again, like that felt like sort of classic on the trail of to me. It felt like we were actually adventuring um, and doing something something cool. Um, and then that episode also has some really neat eyewitness stories. It's got uh, Matt Matt Shang's orb story, and then it's got um, it's got Greg Cannon's uh, encounter as well. And Greg, um, Greg, I actually shot Greg's interview at uh, an event in Pennsylvania, but I was really excited to get someone in there who'd actually seen the Brown Mountain Lights since mm-hmm. since Micah has failed to ever see the Brown Mountain Lights. So, <laughs> so that was important to me as well. But yeah, that was that was a lot of fun doing that episode. And, and that episode was also the most draining of all the episodes because there's so many effect shots. Like I said, there's my estimate is 40 or 50 effect shots in that episode. And uh, Santino did 12. And I probably did – actually, there's more. There's like 14 of Santino shots in that. But he did 12 specifically for that episode, and then I reused a couple. Um, and I probably did 20 of, of them myself. Wow. And then there's a bunch of effect shots in there uh, from other people as well, plus all of Mark Randall's illustrations. That episode is just – visually, it is wall-to-wall um, effects. It, and and then you get some really cool footage of what might be be an actual brown mountain light so that's cool too yeah that was pretty cool again this one yeah you're right seth it really felt like on the trail when you guys are out there boots on the ground experiencing this stuff so that was super invigorating um well then we move to probably one of the most controversial parts of all of this when it comes to ufos a lot of researchers shy away from it um, and some embrace it entirely, and that's the abduction phenomenon. So can you tell us a little about what and uh, who you explore in this episode, and maybe some of the theories you guys came across when it comes to abductions, what they might represent? This episode was the hardest to put together from a storytelling standpoint. I have a whiteboard in my office, and... um you know, for most of the episodes I had to do sort of the classic like arrow, you know, story point to story point. So in my head as I'm editing, it would make sense where each piece of the story needs to go, you know. But in this episode, that changed constantly. Um, and I storyboarded it on a as I was editing. And it, it really was difficult because 35 – this episode is the longest. It's 35 – it's around 35, 36 minutes, something like that. But, I mean, you really get a – good overview of what abduction the abduction phenomenon is and and how weird it gets and how strange some of the theories and stuff are regarding um what is behind the actual abductions and and as i was as we were shooting this episode i did not have any intention of making this a betty and barney hill episode but it really does end up feeling like a betty and barney hill episode it definitely has the bookend of being 
Betty and Barney Hill at the beginning and the end. You know, it's got Shannon and and Adam and Alexander talking about them, sort of the, to wrap everything up. Um, and then at the beginning, it's us climbing to the top of Artist Nook, and you get to see uh, some of those video clips of what was Betty's last interview. And a huge thanks to John Horgan for for giving me those clips too and letting us use those because I think that's kind of a, a really important piece of the 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 episode is to have Betty actually on camera um, talking about the abduction stuff. But um, I I learned a lot in making this episode. I think the the thing that stands out the most to me is is that some of these experiencers view their abduction as a very positive thing, even when that seems to fly in the face of rational thinking. And and the one that really stands out is Gary Tribert's abduction story, where he was <clears throat> he had he was he was driving to get beer one night and saw this light sort of paralleling his car, came around a bend in the in the road, and there was a car in the middle or a a the a UFO, a light in the middle of the road, and that's sort of all he remembers. He wakes up three hours later, and but that's like just the beginning of everything. He's got all this, you know, the the physical manifestations. Things start happening to him that he doesn't understand. He's get, waking up with like bloody noses and scoop marks in his neck and all, all this kind of stuff, and it all sounds terrible. And then it gets to the point where it's happening to his children as well. And yet when we talked to him and asked him about how he felt about it, it wasn't – he didn't seem to think it was negative. And mm-hmm. that was so strange to me uh, to, to sort of wrap my, my brain around. And um, – oh, Ryan, one thing I have to say uh, about episode six, just real quick while yeah, I'm thinking of, course, of this. Man. Thank you for – tying episode six back into the ufo subject because you did it so well and that (laughs) freaked me out so bad with episode six because i was like how am i going to even keep this sort of tied into the rest of it and you and michael huntington did such a good job of explaining like these are uaps like this is still a piece of the overall puzzle so anyway just one thing of it i had to mention that oh oh you're welcome i totally meant to do that <laughs> yeah yeah i figured <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool yeah, well, that's what this it's episode, about man connecting the dots um episode seven is also uh visually the probably the most stunning of the entire series because we were filming in the white mountains at peak like fall foliage season and, and it's oh, funny because the episode is absolutely like stunningly gorgeous but the subject matter is super disturbing so i like that weird dichotomy that's going on yeah well she dropping a dichotomy i like dichotomy it. twice in one we episode. just need ryan to use it before we're done then we we got the hat trick well shannon mm. what is the dichotomy between what <laughs> you think abductions are no <laughs> oh. well i got ashen you've you've interviewed yeah. experiencers in the past on your show mm-hmm. um, you and i spoke to several from my book on an episode of into the fray at one point i mean i'm i'm knee deep in alien abduction experiences but coming mm-hmm. at it from your side of it what did you make of this episode when it comes to abductions i mean i think that the abduction scenario and we're you go from the classic like the streber kind to you know i recently talked to a woman for itf that she saw a craft and it seemed to just open up other experiences like it just opened the door for her just like when seth was talking about gary tribert and you know it kind of turns into this thing where there's a tree and then there's lights around the tree and it becomes what she tantamounts as some kind of a portal or something and then this being comes out right and and i'm just kind of going to play off of, of you ryan to see if you've heard anything like this but 
she had a name for him uh, because someone else talked. I'm so bad at this UFO stuff. Here I go already. Anyhow, maybe it'll come to you. But he, this being steps out. She knows it's uh, quote unquote an alien being because it's not human. So it's an alien. And he's wearing a belt of some sort. But there's a light mm. in the middle of this belt. Um and she gave it a name, and by God, I should—I knew I should have brought that uh, notebook up uh, just in case. But she gave it a name and said, "Well, I don't think it was so and so, but it could have been so and so that um, this person talks about." There's a certain being that comes to to people sometimes, and there was really no true interaction or anything, and she didn't see it at all negative, no negative in the story, but the dichotomy of. You know, you have Strieber, but then you have these other experiences where they just, it's like kind of more the light and, and love crowd, which mm-hmm. is sometimes is a four-letter word in and of itself, too. But it is such, like you said, you can get so knee-deep or waist-deep or neck-deep in just the abduction stuff. It is mind-boggling. But, you know, as far as Betty and Barney Hill, the the question that, came up with a show that Seth and I were also on last week was, you know, what was the, the lo- like the location that like blew your mind or whatever. And both of us said Betty and Barney Hill just because of the isolation factor. And even today, if you go out there, it is very isolated. And, you know, without the, the use of cell phones or feeling like you could really reach out to anyone, no matter what it was, it would be absolutely terrifying to have that experience where you you have nowhere to go and you feel like you have something that has ultimate control and you're just in your putt-putt car and you can't go anywhere and now you have something where you're like, oh, is this oh, great, an off-planet entity wants to interact with me. This is wonderful. Great. Fantastic. You know, you've got Travis Walton's story, whatever people want to make of any of that stuff. You can go down the list of abductees and be like, well, I, I don't know what to make of that. And and honestly, uh, even Strieber has admitted, you know, he he finally said, I, I don't know what the hell all that was. But whatever it is, does it at the end of the day, though? And this is something, you know, for the for the episodes that we go through and for this series, it's all down to the people like that's the big picture of the whole thing anyway. So does it even matter if it's people just effing with other people at the end of the day that the perception of it almost is the most important thing or is it grays or something off planet? It's all about the perception and the trauma that the person goes through. Yep. I mean, I, I've been preaching this since day one in my research of it does, it comes down to the people and how it affects them and what they take from that. I mean, I think that's where disclosure truly happens. And I'll ask your guys' opinion on disclosure in a little bit. But yeah, I think one by one, the people having UFO experiences, whether it's just a light in the sky or a claimed abduction experience, like it's what you take from that and what you choose to do with it, whether it's never talk about it again or embrace it or start a cult. I don't know. But it's crazy. Like the amount of um, people that have claimed that this has happened to them. Yeah, we have no solid verification verifiable evidence of it being a legitimate physical phenomenon so you do 
really have to wonder. I mean, yeah, we come across scoop marks and implants and this, that, this, that, but there's no definitive answer as to what these things are, why they're taking people, and um, yeah, it's it's scary to me. When people say it's love and light and it was an amazing experience, I find that really hard to believe. I mean, these things are happening against your will time and time again, but um, again, I I am I've never been abducted so I can't speak on what someone takes from their own experience but it's a fascinating subset of the UFO phenomenon and I'm so happy you guys tackled it because you had to let's be honest um well even it's, without it's the abduction stuff though if I saw a being come out a damn tree belt or no belt he could be stark nude and be the you know looking like uh, Jason Momoa I don't give a crap it's not going I'm going to freak out it's yeah. I don't think that I would be like this is yeah, I'm going to sleep great this week. This could be amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Good, good point. Absolutely. Well, uh, we moved to the last episode, Chapter 8, Longer Way to Go. And this this, this one I kind of want to leave for the end of our conversation. Um, but before we do that, guys, I've got some listener questions. Do you mind if I fire through these with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. These are going to be fun. These are going to be fun. Um, so, um, you know, kind of um, rounding out the abduction thing, Cody on Twitter asks, um, on the topic of abductions, what is the earliest recorded abduction case that you guys came across? The oldest that we have that seems, if nothing else, at least we have the, the missing missing time element, is that 1600s Boston, Massachusetts area story that Dean Merchant tells in the seventh episode. Oh, awesome. Um where where you had the guys rowing rowing down the river and they see what they call sort of like a swine shaped object in the sky and then they they blank out and they've somehow traveled like many miles down this river and it's hours later. Um so that's that's the so, so oldest like I guess missing time case that that we came across while we were making this, or, or abduction case, I guess you could call it. All right. Well, um, Evan on Twitter asks, the traveling you guys did alone in the series seemed very expansive, at least from you know the trailer that a lot of people have seen. And mm-hmm. aside from UFOs, I mean, the main topic of the series, uh, did a certain area really speak to you guys or surprise you personally? Well, we've talked about the, the Betty and Barney Hill location in the White Mountains for sure, but I think... My absolute favorite, the spot I think about almost daily still, and, and really want to go back to, is Sedona. Just, just, just watching the sunset <laughs> in Sedona and uh, and the weather, and and just the experience of being that West Coast trip with Shannon, Jason, and Brandon was really special. And and that that one little stop was sort of that was really important. Yeah, I agree. Having the boys in my backyard and being able to show them everything around here. But also that was my first time to Sedona. So, yeah, I would agree. I would say that 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 hike out, we're trying to find the vortexes and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, you'll have to see if we found them. And maybe we're talking from one right now. But, yeah, sitting up on top of the rocks and there was a whole bunch of people up there for that very reason. You know, there was people trying to park and there was no parking and they're trying to scramble up these damn rocks to watch the sunset. And, boy, it was worth it. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. That's awesome. See, even, you know, again, aside from UFOs, like what you take away from just this journey alone, I'm sure, um, gives you a deeper respect for how diverse uh, the U.S. really is. It's massive. Like the trip, that's what I said is weird because we, I actually went to more places in, on the trail of Bigfoot, but this felt 
ex- expansive is a great word for it. It felt really, really, really um, just gigantic when you really, I mean, there's things that we shot that did not make it into the series, like Shannon at Cape Canaveral. Like we, we were at Cape Canaveral and it's oh, not nice. in the series and you know, it's, it's, it felt enormous, uh, in scope and to close out it in, in Los Angeles, like one of the most populated cities on earth. And, you know, and, and, but, but still have that butted up against places like the Chestnut Ridge and, and the White Mountains is really astonishing. You get this piece, this cross section of America that, um, we don't see often. And I think it actually brings us more together, these things, than, uh, then tears us apart, you know, and that's hard in the world today. So I got to thank you guys both for that before we uh, continue here. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's the biggest part of on the trail of like, so far, so far, if you really go through all three of the, on the trail of champ, Bigfoot and UFOs, it's the sense of place is probably the biggest special effect in the entire thing. Yeah. It becomes its own character for sure. Um, well, uh, Pete on Facebook asks Shannon, is chasing the paranormal and hosting a podcast your full-time occupation? Or um, is this sort of like a side thing when you're not working? Uh, he finds it amazing that, you know, what a person could actually like make a living doing these sorts of things. So, and he says how freaking cool that is. So yeah, what what do you got for that one, if you're willing to it, share? It, it, it would be amazing, I would say. I, I don't know quite what that's like yet, but... Uh, you know, uh, for all of you guys out there, Ryan Sprague and I actually share a birthday, August 8th. Yep. And uh, that is not the only thing that we share, though. We share a way to make money besides our podcasting and, and uh, book endeavors. I'm, I'm newly into that, of course, but we both are bartenders. So that is what I do for uh, the bulk of my moolah. Yeah, yeah. Got to pay them bills, guys. We, you know, as much as we'd like to be full-time researchers, um, this is often a side thing for us, a passion. You know, we clearly don't do it for the money. (laughs) So that's Uh, that's the reality of all of this. Yeah, There is certainly a misnomer out there that just because you have a a podcast and maybe even a a book or two out there that you're making a a ton of money. But get into it and let's see how you guys do. Yeah, you're you're often in the red. Let's be completely honest. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Sean on Facebook asks, after working on the series, uh, do either of you have a deeper belief in the UFO phenomenon? Like, did it change your beliefs at all? Um, that's a good question. It, it's funny because I've been asked, like, if I, I've been asked if the if my if I came into this, if I feel like coming out of this that I that I know more or less. And I think I feel like I know less about UFOs. Yeah. Like, that's just <laughs> that's kind of where I am. Like, I, I don't. I I know that I'm I'm much more fascinated in the actual phenomenon now than I was. Like before I think there were little things that drew me to it and obviously like I love the encounter stories and stuff like that. And like I said the the Cold War era, but I think I'm much more fascinated by the, the phenomenon as a whole now than I was before. So that's that's a big that's a big part of it for me. Yeah, I think the more you know, the less you know. I've, I've brought that up on several episodes, you know. But then we start to ask new questions. I think that's definitely mm-hmm. exciting. Shannon, how do you feel? Have your beliefs in UFOs or the topic in general changed at all? I mean, I think the, the belief word is maybe a little bit uh, strong and, and, you know, no offense to, to Sean or anything. It's not a, 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 mis, a slightly misplaced word, but um, I would say yes, just because of the fact that, and it's not so much the UFO phenomenon itself. 
it's a belief. And it, here we go with the belief. Sorry, um, it's a knowing that there is something going on, and it is certainly affecting people. And I say yes, it has changed me in a way, and have a, a deeper knowing that something's going on because I've never had a chance to sit down and talk to so many people back to back, face to face. Yeah, absolutely. I know. And when you start to bring it together like that, it just becomes a lot more. Uh... A stronger, stronger. The case to be said for UFOs becomes stronger the more people you talk to. Yeah. Um, well, in terms of that, uh, what are your – Bruce wants to know from Facebook, what are your personal thoughts on disclosure? And do you think we'll ever have it in our lifetime and in what form might it take? What do you guys think about that, Seth? Uh, no. I I think we will we'll probably hear something about – UFOs being, you know, like, I mean, I think we've already had like the admittance that, that UFOs are real from Mm -hmm. the government, Mm -hmm. but no, I don't think we're going to get some sort of like, um, yes, aliens are here and they've been visiting earth for X amount of, I I don't see that happening. Totally agree. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. That would be my answer exactly. I, I couldn't agree more with you guys. I think, again, it comes down to each person, one by one, having these experiences. I think mm-hmm. that's disclosure for them alone. And yeah, I mean, since that New York Times article came out, a lot of people consider that disclosure. You know, the government said UFOs exist. Now it's the question of what are they? What do they want? Who's in control of them? So yeah, I, I would have to agree with you guys on that. Um, well, let's see. Ami on Facebook asks... Would you guys, could you name a current paranormal or 40 honor researchers body of work um, that you're a fan of and why? And on the opposite side, if there's a researcher or body of work that you think too many people give credit or praise to. Oh, damn. Um, yeah, He's really, he really wants us to answer that second one, huh? He wants to pot. He wants to, oh, man. Um, Depends on how negative you guys want to go with this. <laughs> Who do you look I mean, up we can, to? We Let's can be negative, but, you know. <laughs> Uh, let me, yeah, let me, well, so does it have to be you, ufology or is it kind of anything? No, I think, you know, in terms of 40 on, I guess we were talking about anything. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to go with a bunch of names that everyone's going to be like, oh, he's, he's so boring. But, uh, Lauren Coleman, like, you know, go read old Lauren Coleman stuff. It's super cool. Like his 1970s work is, is really cool. And, um, Jerome Clark, uh, is cool. Jerome and Lauren actually did a book together. That's pretty rad. Um, I think it's called the unidentified in the, in the, in the reprint, but that wasn't the original title. And now I can't remember what the original title was, but Ivan Sanderson, I really like reading his old stuff. Uh, John Keel is pretty cool. I have issues with John's Mothman work right now that is only getting more and more uh, present in my mind as the days go by. But I still really like John's work and the way he wrote. He was a good writer. And let me think. I'm trying to think of like someone more recent that I that I'm like have been getting into, but I I I feel like I plow through so many books just trying to get research done that if I don't yeah. really get to really appreciate that kind of stuff, so. I don't know, man. Oh, Tobias Whalen's uh, Lake Michigan Mothman books really cool. Yeah, I just, just yeah. I mean, there's a reason I want to work with Tobias, and that book's part of part of it. Oh, and then um, uh, uh, the the um, Pine Barrens Institute guy. Now I totally blanked on his name, but he did the the um, book about 
about historical monsters that I'm also failing to remember the name of the book. I'm gonna Sorry. find this. Let I, Shannon talk. I, I'm not helping at all. I'm I'm trying. I'm like a Pine Barrens. I'm trying. I can see like the logo and everything. I'm yeah, sorry. same. Shannon, well, he, you go, and I'll get it in my head, and well, or I'll get it on Google, and, and yeah. Now Siri can come into play. He yeah. already mentioned two names that I had written down: uh, Coleman and Keel. I mean, John Keel is a, a go-to for most of us, and you know when we talk to Fortiana uh, Bigfoot, I love Will Jevening. If you're talking about like if you you get into Dogman stuff, you got you know Linda Godfrey. I mean, there's there is a lot of people out there doing a lot of fantastic work. Adam and Benedict. Adam Benedict. There it Monsters is. And Boom. Yep. Thank you, Google. Sorry, no, I mean, I'm I'm so much on the the plane of where Seth is. I'm kind of going, my wheels are turning. I've talked to a billion people, and I can't remember like six names to give you guys. But, uh, you know, those are some of the the heavy hitters out there, I think, that are doing fantastic work. They've been doing it for a very long time. They're very passionate about it. But, um uh, of course, the second we hang up, we're going to go, why didn't I mention so-and-so? But, <laughs> David um, you know, David, oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, we could mention half the people that we talked to for, uh, you know, for the, on the trail of UFOs, because a lot of these people are much like us in that they study a lot of different um, subject matter. So, you know, Micah Hanks, I mean, you know, these are people that they do the podcast, they do the books, they, you know, they go to the conferences, they do all of these things. Yeah. Well, what I think is interesting, too, is a lot of Shannon, um, the ITF crowd, they always wondered when you, me and Sam would meet and on the trail of UFOs <laughs> yeah. is what finally made it happen. That which was, was awesome. incredible. It would have been great, of course, to have it all at the same time. But it was on two separate coasts. You were not in, in L.A. still at that I time. Know. So but hey. We met. That was all that mattered. And I think uh, I was like, this is going to implode the Internet finally when I <laughs> post pictures with the boys, you know, because that was a long time coming. So we have to thank Seth for that. He, yeah. He's the one that, that made that happen. You know, and of course, me trying to like pressure you guys like you're going to do this. Like you're <laughs> going to get on camera. I don't care what you say. No, it was it was a long time coming. And of course, it would be UFOs that brought us together. So I couldn't be happier about that. But um, let's see here. Uh, oh, here's our last listener question. Uh, Philip on Facebook asks, if you two could ask one question of a government insider with alleged access to high level details on the UFO subject, what would it be? What was the Kecksburg craft? Yeah, that's a good one, man. I'm going to keep my comments to myself. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> On the Kexpert case? Seth, Seth already knows because of my brain. He's been around me long enough. He's like, shut yeah. up, Shannon. It looks, it looks like something, but... Just, yeah, you know. I'm just, just going to... Oh, so geez. immature. I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. No. <laughs> yeah, you you know. Because um, you've been you've talked to, to me enough as well. No, mine would be, hands down, have we ever recovered or do we have now the classic gray aliens? I want to, like, do we have the bodies? Do we have, have we ever had one alive? Have we ever recovered anything like that? Classic Grey. That's a good question. I like it. Let's see. Um, I guess going back to Chapter 8 of the series, longer way to go. Um, Yes, a lot of big questions in this series. So do you feel you met the goals you sort of set out to do with the project? Or what do you kind of hope the audience will take away from On the Trail of UFOs? Seth, I guess we'll start with you. Yeah, that's cool, because the... it's funny the behind the scenes what Shannon and I talked about a lot 
and, and it's in it's in the first, the second trailer, but it's not in the series. Is like this idea that people used to look to the skies with a sense of wonder and curiosity, and that's kind of gone. And it's mentioned a couple times throughout the series, but it's not really driven home as much as I would have liked it have to, for it to have been. And that's because the the mission statement of the series changed. That was originally the mission statement of the series is like you know people don't look to the skies and. You know, then it, that kind of stuff. And then it became more about like people don't put the focus on people. And then so that became the mission statement. So maybe for season two, we'll, we'll do the other thing. But um, yeah, I, I think. Wait, what was the wording of the specific question you asked me before I start rambling? Because I, I want to make sure I actually answer it. How did you word that again? Oh, How yeah. did you word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, what, what do you hope the audience will take away from yeah, the entire project? Yeah, so, so yeah, I think, I think it's. It, it really is just the fact that the subject itself is is worthy of looking into, regardless of how skeptical or whatever you are. That the subject itself is looking into, devoid of the celebrities and the man, maybe the some of the programming you might already have hardwired into you because of movies. You know of of this being a terrifying subject to to look into, and it's it's all scary movie stuff and and that kind of thing. Like there there is something very very innocent, not innocent. That's the totally wrong word. Um, not innocent, but but there is something awe inspiring about the idea that there's there are things flying around our skies that we don't know what they are in a world where we have the technology we do. Um, yeah. you know, and it's, it's kind of the same way that I feel about like something like Bigfoot. Um, you can look into this stuff and come at it from your own place, like your own perspective and, and don't, don't, don't feel like you have to be hardwired by, by what television and, and books and all that kind of stuff tells you just, just come into it and, and f- figure things out for yourself. And, and it's a subject worth looking into and spending t- time on and if nothing else you'll meet some some really cool people you'll also meet a ton of crazies and a lot of people <laughs> that will there's going to be times where you feel very demoralized being involved in this yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh but it is worth looking into and spending time on and uh, yeah bring your own bring your own perspective to it and if nothing else it's like greg bishop kept talking about and put the focus on the people like you know, like my goal became to to put the focus on everyone, like not just not just the experiencers and the witnesses, but that that's probably the most important part of it. But but also like people like Ryan, like why why is Ryan into this? Why did why has Ryan spent so much time on it? Why you know he's like still what drives asking Ryan? himself that question today? Yeah, like <laughs> the, but those things get overlooked a lot. You know, yeah, like we're, you're right. we're Someone like Ron Regeer has been in this for like 50 years. Same with Stan Gordon, like 50 years of his life. Long, you know, maybe longer for Stan, like invested in looking, looking to the skies and, uh, why, what drives someone to do that and what kind of impact will that have? You know, I asked you, Ryan, like at the, when, when you die, when, when, when is this going to have been worth your time? You know, like essentially that was what I asked you. Yeah. And like, um, there are some philosophical questions that get brought up in that last episode. I think oh, I forget absolutely. about, but, um, but yeah, that's the biggest thing. It's just, man, get there, there's a ton to this su- subject beyond what you're going to find on, on, t- on TV. And, and, and I'm not running down 
television either. I'm saying the the crowd that comes into this is and and the younger people that are going to come into this are going to come into it because of whatever's on television or whatever's online that they're checking out. Like that's what's going to drive them to the subject. But look beyond that. Like there's a, there's a lot more. Absolutely. Yeah, Shan, do you have anything to add to that? I have nothing to add. Nothing. I mean, Seth said it beautifully. Um, no, I did. And and I think it just ties back into something I'll parrot from earlier is that just being able to sit with so many different kinds of people with varying beliefs in the subject and different uh, they've got a different mindset as far as the tactics they go about either trying to, uh, you know, contact it or, you know, from an experience or standpoint, maybe trying to to figure out just what in the hell happened to them, really. Um, and again, the, the perception comes into that, not to just rehash what I said. But yeah, I think just being able to sit down with so many different kinds of people is something that, I mean, it's going to stay with me forever. And I think that it definitely got me way more into the subject of UFOs than I was before. Yay, we got another one. I love it. I love Hooked it. me in. <laughs> oh, crap. Oh, wow. Guys, this has been amazing. Um, before we go, um, can you maybe tell us a little about what projects you got coming next? Uh, Seth, what can we expect from Small Town Monsters moving forward? And uh, yeah, give us give us everything that's coming next, man. Yeah, I we well, we added a whole new production for this year. <laughs> that yeah, uh, that was originally quite a surprise. Was, you didn't have was, enough to do. Kind of surprising to us, honestly. It's. Um, so on the trail of UFOs is coming out March uh, 20th, uh, Amazon Vimeo on demand uh, coming to DVD and Blu-ray. We are oh heck who cares? We're negotiating to get like a wide release for this thing. I don't know how those negotiations are going to go. I'm not crazy about distributors. I remain to not be crazy about distributors. So, but we are negotiating with a distributor um, that, that would get this out to a much larger audience. So hopefully that goes well and we can do that. And if that's the case, it'll be sort of everywhere. But regardless, um, after on the trail of UFOs, we are, um, beginning production for on the trail of the Lake Michigan Mothman. This will start shooting on March 26th, um, in Chicago. So I will be in Chicago with, with again, like on the trail of just constantly has a shifting, uh, cast of of crew, and this one won't have Shannon. Unfortunately, it's going to be it's going to be a a new. Uh, well, our leads in this one are Tobias and Emily Whalen, um, and so we'll be sort of investigating the Mothman Lake Michigan stuff with them. Um, this will be uh, shot by. This is what I'm most excited about. Is so I've been trying to work with Andrew Peterson for like four years. Andrew. Uh, used to do a, a website. I can't remember. I think it was like what, Weird Midwest or something like that. Oh yeah, um, yep, but, I remember that. But he's a he's a amazing cinematographer, and he he's him and I have been talking for years about working together. We couldn't get it together. This is going to be the project where he's finally going to uh, be a DP for something uh, that I'm that I'm directing. So um, this is going to be really cool. It's going to be shot by him. It's going to have a very uh, investigative detective vibe. Um, I mostly just sent him a bunch of photos from the movie brick uh, with Joseph Gordon Levitt to tell him what I, what I'm envisioning uh, for this. So this is going to be a special on the trail of two um, because it's not episodic. It's going to be basically um, what we're calling it is like a special episode of a TV show. So you know how like, 
TV shows like TGIF. We all we all know Family Matters and oh, all that. Yeah, they would do yeah. the special episodes, and they'd be like an hour long or whatever. That's the, what this is going to be. It's going to be a a special episode of On the Trail of. It's going to be extended, and it's going to be about one topic. So uh, that'll be out hopefully in June, late June is the what we're trying to do with that. It's going to be a quick turnaround. Uh, we are in production for the Mothman Legacy. And uh, at the end of the year, we'll be putting out The Mark of the Bell Witch. We are also filming uh, On the Trail of Bigfoot Season 2 over the course of this year. The big trip coming up for that one is going to be British Columbia, uh, which I'll be doing in August um, for for On the Trail of Bigfoot Season 2. And we are also hoping On the Trail of UFOs Season 1 does really well so we can launch Season 2. So if you're interested in seeing On the Trail of UFOs do more – uh, please watch and support on the trail of UFO season one. Absolutely. I think that's it. I think, Oh, we have a book com- coming out called making monsters that will be out for Kickstarter backers. There may be a few copies available in our web store, but not many. That's awesome. man. Shan, how about you? What do you got coming up? Uh, well, I've got, uh, the second book beyond the fray Paramalgamation, which will be coming out hopefully, uh, in the next, uh, few weeks we're gonna look for an early release on that and of course beyond the fray bigfoot is out and i'm still doing the podcast it comes out every thursday 7 p.m pst uh into the fray radio.com and of course any and all podcatchers youtube iheart radio spotify the usual offenders for uh catching a podcast right and then i also saw you put out a call for ufo stories is that right Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, not to steal any thunder from your show, of course, Ryan, because that seems like a, uh, a, a little bit of a, a, a butting of heads there. But, yeah, I am um, looking for, of course, some that are willing to, to come on the show and some that maybe you're not. They don't ever want to come on a podcast in their whole life. Maybe they just want to write it out to me or have a private conversation. And then I translate that into the written word. So yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. I I always say it, the more UFO stories out there, the more we can normalize the topic and get more people interested and involved and, uh, and show people this is a topic worth pursuing, which I think is the epitome of what on the trail of UFOs has done for me personally. And for a lot more people out there, I hope so. Um, yes, I got to thank both of you guys for coming on today. This has been absolutely amazing. Not just talking to you, but being a part of this. I was so honored to just give my thoughts and opinions on all the research I've done throughout the years to an audience who will hopefully take something away from that. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see the series in its entirety, and I know my audience will too. So thank you to the both of you for coming on Somewhere in the Skies. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks, Ryan.
Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.